Welcome. Why don't you join us? Sit back and relax while I take you on a journey through the ruins of a world that is in some ways familiar and is in some significant ways outlandish. My name is Gwyn Glasser. We are around the campfire, and this is where our story begins. The siren was like the death call of some alien, avian creature. She darted to the left as soon as she heard it, in anticipation of the onrush of people. When the panic began, she was flat against the wall. Friends and neighbors became nothing more than obstructions between each person and their survival, and many fell underfoot, completely alone, but for the fact that she watched them. They all knew where the nearest shelter was. They were all scrambling to the same place. With her forearm and open palm flat against the peeling plaster, she began to wade through a tide of desperate bodies. Moving the wrong way, she was invisible. No competition. Irrelevant. It was like she and the crowd were in two different worlds, and they slid by her to grab somebody else, or shoved her forward so they could pass behind her, eyes bulging in search of the next opening. She skirted around a corner, and now the streets were clearer, with a few stragglers scurrying vainly after the stampede, carrying or half-carrying those that were too old or too young to make it themselves. In the emptier street, she stuck out, walking away from the safety of the shelter, still dragging her palm across the uneven wall. They threw her glances, but they wouldn't stop. Soon she was alone. The siren doubled itself, echoing between the buildings, dumbly shouting at nobody. She took a moment to see the city empty like this. Some wax paper on the far side of the road flapped in slow motion in the silent wind. The same breeze touched her cheek, and she shivered, raising her chin to glance at the heavy clouds. Nothing yet, she said. She started to jog. Her quick steps were irregular to avoid the gaping potholes among the cobbles. She took a shortcut through a gap in a ruined townhouse, held up by mangled rebar. She scrambled out of the rubble, pushed herself up from her hands and knees, and began to run in earnest through the empty streets. She came to the scaffold, built around the steeple of a temple that had long since been reduced to knee height. But the scaffold remained, a bristling tower of iron and plastic fibers. She jumped for the first bar, a foot over her head, and scrambled up by kicking her feet against a fallen battlement at the base. Once up, it was an easy climb. Two hands, two feet, swing up, stabilize, reach, two hands, two feet, swing up, 
The repeated successes of the ascent made her heart beat fast, and faster still as her muscles began to burn and the ground fell away beneath her in jolts. Halfway up, she saw the ships on the horizon. They were in a new formation, and her heart almost skipped a beat. She climbed faster. At the summit, she grabbed onto a pole that protruded from the top so she could lean out over her ruined city and watch them. Two huge airships, imperial class maybe, drifting in parallel like glistening orbs of magnetite against the grey. Strung between them was a vast netting that was the floor for a giant flying stage. Above it, seven identical airships flew in an arch. Five were trailing great ropes or chains, and two blasting green spotlights down onto the stage, blinding and binding the gigantic creature that lay upon it. At first, it was no god she recognized, and looked nothing like any of those she had seen before. But they never did. Around the nine airships that bore the thing, she began to make out the swarms of their gunship escorts, like wafts of smoke in the distance. This offensive was the largest she'd seen, and she gripped the pole tighter and leaned farther forward. The siren was silent now. It would not sound again until the attack was over. The airships rolled slowly onward. The gunships were visible as individual points now, she craned her neck to see the god more clearly. Just a pile, an ambiguous shape clad in plates of something that looked metallic under the sickly green of the floodlights. It wasn't moving. Between the airships and her tower, by the ruined gates of her city and bridging the river on, was the decaying body of Gork, the city's patron. The siren had startled the ravens that were usually to be found feasting on its corpse, revealing the mangled ruin of the great protector. But they were already returning. These days you could even see shacks or a gorehound slinking in to take a bite. Gork's corpse was not moving either. The airships were close enough now that she began to make out the shape of the god they were towing. It had many limbs, and while some seemed to end, others seemed to flow back into itself or into each other. From where she stood, it looked like a pile of differently sized snakes had been cast in steel. A theocratic missionary class broke formation from behind and hovered in front of where the god was suspended. Their agile, heavier-than-air broadcasting ships, carrying only one person or two, including the pilot. Inside it would be the attack's conductor, but she was surprised to see only one ship. Even the most proficient conductors work in groups of three and four. The green spotlights cut off. Her ears popped. She saw movement on the god. Those metallic plates began to ripple like dominoes, and they flipped, revealing a swirling myriad of bright colors that projected rainbows against the clouds around it. The god tried to rise, and the five chains that bound it went taut, pulling the airships out of formation. She whooped out loud at the sight. You're beautiful! A gigantic vortex of writhing colors, glowing so brightly that it was only possible to make out impressions of thousands of limbs moving freely among segments of a headless totem pole body, taller than the scaffold she stood on, perhaps twenty stories or more. 
Then the conductor must have given the signal to begin, because the music began to play. If you didn't know what it was, you wouldn't call it music. The instruments are as unrecognizable as the sounds they produce, in patterns that only a conductor can identify. As always, she couldn't tell if this song was the same as the last one, or new. She could only hear it faintly on the wind from this distance. But the god heard it, and its limbs convulsed violently, and then burst outward like a rainbow sun exploding. Across its body, those metallic plates rippled on and off, so that the light it projected on the cloud cover flickered between green, pink, blue, purple, and shadow. The music stopped for a moment, and the god went lip, limp, its colors dimming. And then, louder than before, the music sounded, and at the sound the god flexed again, and points of light burst from its limbs in the hundreds, then thousands. They rose gently up into the sky, almost blocking out the clouds in a mass of rainbow fires that drifted like leaves slowly down in an arc from the creature to the city in which she stood. She laughed out loud. Her tears shattered the lights into a kaleidoscope of colors before her eyes. It was the most beautiful thing she had ever seen, ever could see. She leaned back as far as she could, arching her back and curving her neck so that all she could see were those colored lights. They lit up her face, and the ruins below her danced with rainbow shadows. A flock of terrified ravens burst up into the sky and drew her eye to the dead god. The ground began to shake. The scaffold swayed dangerously, but she held on tight. It was happening later than she'd expected. Even in death, Gork was going to fight back. His rotting fist rose up and slammed into the ground, followed by a second and a third. With its three intact arms like the trunks of ancient trees, the corpse raised itself slightly above the river, dazzling rainbow water cascading off its sides and pulling in the wounds on its back. Its great arms flexed, and with a titanic shove sent it flying up into the air, where some invisible force caught it. Its mangled, almost humanoid body hung there, huge head limp, great eye unseeing, and many mouths open and slack. The airships held their formation. The music still played, and the rainbow god writhed. Gork extended his arms and flew upwards towards the dome of flickering lights that was descending upon it and its city. It battered at the lights, reminiscent of how her father would sweat at mosquitoes in a different time. Where it touched them, they were snuffed out, but there were thousands of them, and Gork had only three of its fabled ten arms. Still the music played, still the lights fell. She suddenly realized that she was going to die, but the thought seemed small next to the grandness of the lights, the music, and the battling gods. She was laughing herself hoarse, swinging about on the scaffold, climbing higher or lower to try to get a better vantage point. The first light hit. It was a deep violet, and it landed on the ganghouse that had been the ration station before, and the bakers before that. 
There was a sound like a thousand cavalry sabers being drawn at once, and an explosive growth of crystals burst up from the old bakery. Translucent, faceted shards the size of a temple monolith. The crystals spread by the second, until they had covered the whole block or thereabouts. And then the next fire hit, falling in among the broken silos of the old distillery. More crystals exploded up where it landed, this time a pale teal. The air was filled with the rasping sound of the crystals, and she stared, open-mouthed, as the city below her was enveloped in a rainbow forest. The body of Gork was falling. It had snuffed many of the lights, but far more were yet to drift down upon the city. She saw it crash into the river on again, writhing in protest as its domain was destroyed. A few of the fires landed near it, but the crystals that burst against its huge body melted into gray slime. Gork lay still, and then with a cry that cracked the crystals near it, it wrenched off one rotting arm with another and hurled it at the rainbow god and the source of the music. The gargantuan missile of flesh hurtled through the air a mile or further, and as high, and while it fell short of the rainbow god, a finger knocked against the tiny missionary ship and sent it hurtling to the earth. And then she looked away, because a flame was mere feet above her. It was a ready orange, almost mistakable for a regular fire if not for the intensity of the color. She froze, watching it, and waiting. It drifted within a few inches of her face and down her body. It had no warmth, but she tasted something acrid in her nose and mouth as it drew close. Past her body, past her boots, and the bar she stood on. With a sigh of disbelief, she realized it had fallen directly over the hollow center of the scaffold. She watched the bars light up orange and fade again as it drifted slowly through the scaffold towards the rubble below. From directly above, she saw how each tongue of flame exploded upwards where it landed, expanding and hardening into sharp spears of frozen light. She couldn't have moved if she'd wanted to, but the crystals stopped short, a few feet below where she stood. She slumped against the pole she'd been holding, breathing hard. Hers had been among the last of the fires to fall, and in the aftermath, nothing was left. The scaffolding was the only structure protruding from the bristling ocean of colors. She realized that this time, the siren would not sound again. The green floodlights were relit, and the metal plates encased the rainbow god once more. Finally, the enemy had succeeded, and she was the only survivor. Well, we've reached the end of part one, as my dad always used to say. But there's always more to every story. If you're curious about some aspect of this world, or its characters or creatures, just let me know and we can explore them further. Thank you so much for joining me on this first episode. I'm very excited for the coming stories, and I hope you'll join me for them around the campfire. <laughs>